Hi, Jeremy. Hello, Raphael. Uh, you are not at home. I'm not in Calgary, Alberta, which is like uh, west, kind of almost, it's western Canada, but not, all, not as far as the ocean. It's, the whole Calgary name reminds me of the Winter Olympics. Yeah, they did have the Winter Olympics here. But to me, in my memory, the, the Winter Olympics are always in Calgary in Canada. Like, the name just sounds like Winter Olympics. <laughs> that was like in 1989, I think, or something, too. It was a long time Yeah, ago. but there's something about Canada that there's so much space and so much cold. Mm-hmm. It is the best place for the Winter Olympics, probably. Well, I had, I had a little Winter Olympics this experience this morning where I just needed to go get like a coffee and some food because um, I'm in an Airbnb that's totally empty of any supplies and... But they, they had like two feet of snow last night. So I was like hiking seemingly through wilderness just to get to a Starbucks in a mini mall. That <laughs> right. I don't know. I, I thought you were going to tell us a cool story that you slipped down a, some kind of you slipped down a hill and went into a cave. And it was like a scene from the Goonies where you found a pirate ship. And uh, there were bears. Yeah. We, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they fed me berries that they had stored over the winter. Yeah. No, but I'm in Calgary. I, I'm part of a little show out here, and they asked me to come do a performance to close the show. So I'm going to do that. Yeah. Cool. I haven't and is, is Calgary very different than Toronto? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's very different. <laughs> it's a lot. It's a, it's a much smaller city. Um, like, if you've been to Denver or something like that in the, in the United States, it's, like, similar. I think I have, yeah. Where it's, like, yeah. it's surrounded by plains, but there's mountains in the far distance. Okay. It's almost like they have it, too much space. But not enough people. Mm. But but good coffee? Um, no, I went to Starbucks. It's terrible. It's like the worst <laughs> coffee on the earth. Okay. And breakfast? Well, there I got oatmeal. Like, there's nothing open. I, I got up at like 7 a.m. Oh, yeah, so yeah. I, I, I get that with jet lags and you wake up too early. And the, the, yeah. the, the only people who will help you then are the corporations. They're the only ones who get up that yeah. early. Yeah, there was like, I had two choices, Starbucks or A&W, which is like a burger chain. <laughs> it was like, I'm not going to have yeah. a burger for breakfast. So the thing. Yeah, yeah. And no, it was I a think 20 f- for most businesses, it's it's too expensive to be open that early. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. yeah, but I'm, yeah, I'm here in an Airbnb. It's funny, it's like one of the most, it's one of those really generic Airbnbs where they, it's like, it's been designed to be an Airbnb. You Like, it's a yeah. hotel, but it's in a building. Yeah. Well, know. maybe we can start from the beginning. So so this week's episode is about Airbnb. And Airbnb started with the idea, if you're on vacation or you're traveling for work, your home is empty. So why not rent it out briefly? Mm-hmm. Like, that yeah, was the, the core economy, idea. Sharing economy well, the, kind of thing. It, and it, it's almost like uh, an efficiency, and it, they they found an inefficiency. They found all these air bubbles in cities, basically all these empty apartments that are empty for three weeks of the year. And mm-hmm. like, well, that, and they're all in prime areas that people want to be at, and uh, send. Yeah, it, it sounds like a win-win, no? But you know, the original story, the core was, idea, the original story was like uh, the why it's called Airbnb. I think most people know, but I'll just recount it for the history books. <laughs> Is that uh, there are a couple guys in San Francisco? They had an apartment, and there was going to be this like uh, conference in the city, and they noticed that all the hotels were sold out, and so they came up with this idea like, well, we could just put a couple air mattresses on the ground and like tell people like on the message board for the conference that they can stay there and and like we'll make it like really fun for them and we'll take them out on tours and like we'll make it like a whole service experience 
Um, and so they listed, you know, their bedroom or living room floor with a couple air mattresses. And they had like three people sign up because this, you know, conference. And they were all like, legendary VCs. <laughs> no, I think they're just like, yeah, I mean, probably, who knows. Um, I think, that, yeah, the official story, I haven't checked it out in a while. I can't remember the names of the people that were there. But they did have a great time and they took them on a tour of San Francisco. And like, But then the genesis of the company was like, what if there was you know, a hotel that what didn't feel impersonal, that was so personal, it was like in your yeah. home, and then you were like a tour guide for those people. And and it also makes going on vacation almost free, because if you're getting your rent back from, and you're spending that somewhere else, it's almost like, uh, there's also apartment trading, but this is delayed apartment trading, because you use, you use money. That was, What I'm trying to say, originally it wasn't like, oh, we're going to yeah. buy up tons of condos and rent them out full-time. Yeah, but you're already fast-forwarding, yeah. like So if you fast-forward yeah. to now, it's like... But in, betwe- like in between, the, I've been in some very personal Airbnbs where it's like, should I really... Like, are these underwear? Shouldn't they have been put away before I got here? Kind of thing, like like where you're walking into someone's house that's kind oh, of just while really, they're away. I hate the Airbnb experience. When it's like that? Sorry to be grumpy again. No, but like pet hairs and then it, it, it we were in an airbnb in la because we wanted to i had to be there for work and, and uh, had some meetings in la and uh, i don't know if this story is at the right time in this podcast but i'm just yeah, gonna go for it. the story it of my personal airbnb experience it's not so traumatic but just the little things right mm. so new york is always cold in the winter and you're like why are we not living in california so nice there and I had some meetings, and we're like, why don't we go to to L.A. for 10 days, like two weekends in a week, and get an Airbnb by the beach with a view of the ocean. Uh, it's not cheap, but just to test drive it and see, like, what's it like to live by the ocean in California? Mm-hmm. Yeah, good idea. Because I had lived in L.A. for a year, but on the east side, where all my friends are, and I was like, okay, what, what's it like living on the beach? And so going there, and obviously it's a great view. And it's fun going for a run in the morning, and after the run you dip in the ocean. It's a bit cold, but it's nice, and uh, yeah. But the neighborhood is kind of boring, and uh, we decided LA is not for us. But we were just going around and trying to be as neat as possible and respecting the the apartment because it's someone's apartment. Mm-hmm. And then later on, we got a review saying that we left for the beach and we left one of the windows open. So some of one of the neighbors or a cleaner or whatever had seen us. The person was away, but like somehow we were being spied on and being monitored for our behavior. Mm. And I thought that, like, that's annoying. That's not a chill way to do vacation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that, that's interesting because I've, I've uh, the only other Oceanside experience I've had is like I rented kind of like a beach house in Cornwall, but I used like a vacationrentals.com kind of thing. And the whole place was just like set up for the express purpose that you would rent it out. Was this place like, did someone normally live there? Did it feel like it, it was full-time it was, Airbnb? Uh, it was like a living room and then a bedroom on the left and a bedroom on the right. Mm-hmm. And the bedroom on the right was hers and it was locked up. I and see. the bedroom on the left was kind of for Airbnb. And I think her job required her to be away half the time. So it was a semi-professional Airbnb, but it still had a lot of personal items. And mm-hmm. uh, it a bit too full for my taste. You know, I like empty spaces. So you sit down and then some books fall on your head because the bookshelf is so close to the couch and right, right, things right. like that. Yeah. No, but I think like what you're, uh, well, the reason I asked that question is because like this Airbnb that I'm in is like all the way, you know, toward... 
hotel. Yeah, no it's one on, has ever lived there. Like, there's zero people have ever lived here. Like, I can see they did. They took one trip to IKEA. I feel I have a feeling like in the same building that I'm in, there's like five other units just like this yeah. that are Airbnb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it really is like. Um, well, it, it it's one of those things where the mission of the startup is sincere, mm-hmm. but then it turns out that another use of the this the website or the 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 company. So originally they're like make travel more personal and use unused space. Mm-hmm. But then some people are like, well, we're going to buy condos and make more money than renting it to a, a person full time. Yeah. And then Airbnb is like, yeah, that's not really great, but <laughs> it does make a lot of money. So, yeah. Yeah. Like their, their tagline is you belong here. Right. And yeah. it is supposed to be like you have this feeling of being in someone else's home. And I've had some beautiful experiences. Like there's an Airbnb I stay at in London whenever I'm there and the family does live there and I've become friends with the family when I've gone several times and like they they do my laundry and stuff and that really feels great actually not everyone would like that but I actually like that personal touch yeah um but then there's I mean the personal touch is great if if you agree with the person's decoration style and and, uh, cleanliness Mm -hmm. yeah no that's true um yeah I just yeah and if they're not too nosy or whatever like I've definitely stayed in ones where it's like oh you're an artist Let's let me show you my artwork, <laughs> and you're like, oh yes, <laughs> this is yeah. fantastic. Um, so it can be awkward at times, or where like they want to serve. So I've been in Airbnbs where the B and B part is supposed to be bed and breakfast. So guess what breakfast is in this Airbnb? <laughs> it's like a bag a bag of cornflakes. No, there's like a there's a package of mustard in the fridge and two bottles of water. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but then I've been yeah. in other ones where they did like a whole brunch that was like. You know, it took us an hour to eat, and they had, like, made their own maple syrup. <laughs> I mean, we've also been to places where uh, it was an actual bed and breakfast, not through Airbnb. Mm-hmm. And then you go there, and they they made a really a huge effort to make breakfast, but it was terrible. Right, right, right. But right. They, they made little heart-shaped pancakes, but <laughs> they just tasted terrible. And they made little sausages, and they were kind of burnt. I think the people were kind of... You know, when you get really old, you can't smell that well anymore, so you don't mm-hmm. know if you burnt the food. And like, yeah. mm. That's a funny uh, reference. But I, I do feel like uh, I prefer those experiences to Airbnb now. Like Kristen and I, for at first I'll say as an artist, just to bring it back to my, you know, being an artist, Airbnb was like a breakthrough because hotels had reached this ridiculous level of expense. Like in New York, to stay in a hotel was like $400, right? Yeah, for a tiny room. For a tiny room. Yeah, and that's per night. And so, like, if you needed, if you didn't have a friend to stay with, or you had exhausted all your friendships, (laughs) which, you know, happens, uh, like, you were kind of screwed, right? There's nowhere to stay. So, Airbnb comes along, and and then it was actually possible to stay in New York for under $100 a night, right? Yeah. And that was actually, that's huge. And that, and you can. Positive change. That's the same thing for Berlin. That's the same thing for London. You know, again, those were, London especially was a very expensive city to to have a hotel, to stay in a hotel in. So it was fantastic at first. Um, Now, the the funny thing is, I I do think you're right. Like things, it went from being this thing where you're using extra capacity in your own home and the prices were reasonable to now where the prices, like, the prices have creeped up. I'm sure you've noticed. It's not personal. There's like a pot, you know, a couple, you know, a, a couple of bottles of water and a mustard pack in the fridge, and when I I wonder well, what happened. Yeah, it's like it's a, well, it's it's a weird thing because um, all these companies are founded on an algorithm, and I don't mean a literal piece of computer code, but an algorithm like a box of 140 characters 
and you post, and it's a nano blog. So that's Twitter. Mm-hmm. Then slowly they realize people also want to post images, and they also want to post videos, and maybe they want to post 280 characters. And so they're tweaking their what they are, their basic DNA. Mm-hmm. And same with Facebook. They're like, yeah, we don't like all this uh, sensational, divisive politics, but it does get a lot of clicks. So we're going to pretend that we're working on it, but it's yeah. creating so much user <clears throat> engagement. So it's against our own interest and against our investors' interest to really fight it. Well, and really that's, in, the same, yeah. that's the same with Airbnb. It's like, yeah, we, we would prefer that it was all crafty and personal, but these uh, scummy landlords that are milking the city and raising the rent are bringing us a lot of money, and the shareholders sure do like that. But you're bringing up like a really good point, which is, um, I'm not sure if our listeners are aware, but... Be- it's not actually the the algorithms are part of the problem. The other part of the problem uh, is actually the hosts themselves. No, no, uh, no, 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 no. I disagree here because well, the I algorithm. Just, the, it, there was a clear thing in in Amsterdam where it, it was getting out of hand, and yeah. uh, homes are getting too expensive for like school teachers or nurses or things like that. So a nurse who works in Amsterdam can't afford to buy an apartment in Amsterdam. Right. I mean, that's what I heard and, about and, Berlin too, where there's yeah. the highest and concentration. So, and and. Part of that is tourism, but there's a very simple algorithm. They say you can't rent out, the law in the Amsterdam says you can't rent out an apartment temporarily more than 30 days of the month, uh, of the year. Mm-hmm. Simple algorithm, 30 days. So it's like two lines of code. Uh, you're over 30 days, not available. This is not so hard to code. <laughs> but then Airbnb says, oh, it's on the user to... Uh, adhere to that rule it's not on us right and they could change that with one line of code that's not a technical problem but if they change that they lose money and people will go to other startups to temporarily rent out their apartment so Mm -hmm. what i'm trying to say is the algorithm turns out to it it figures things out by itself and say oh yeah why don't we do this well i mean the human algorithm though got airbnb into a lot of trouble that's what i wanted to bring up which is that they have um These statistics were published that if you were a person of color, you were like 30% less likely or up to 30% less likely to get a confirmed reservation. Because there's this whole little song and dance that still exists on Airbnb where you have to like be accepted. (laughs) Well, yeah, it's like that thing where I left the window open when I went to the beach and then I got a bad review. So the next time I rent something, they'll be like, hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're gonna have a you have a lower star rating. Mm, we have a lot of windows. We don't want Raphael to them. So anyway, like people of color, specifically Black Americans, were uh, getting denied. There's like there's there are memes about this and lots of screenshots of people who and like stories of people who changed their icon and their name and then next thing they you know they got in. Um, and it's really interesting, I think, because it, it really if you take that you belong here statement that they have and that like. And this idea that your home becomes I mean, available to everyone. No, I just want to say, like, I yeah. think that that original mission is actually kind of beautiful, which is to say you'll accept anyone into your home, right? Yeah. But what actually took place or what actually has taken place is I don't want anyone in my home because I'm a racist or maybe because I don't feel safe. So all of the so- sort of social problems that exist outside the home are then inside the home. It's like not in my backyard literally yeah, yeah, yeah. on your front door but but here uh, this is interesting because in this case it is in airbnb's uh interest to make people more accepting of each other because that would create more profit yeah so right. if what so but in the case of limiting people because rents are going up in this uh, 
metropolitan areas, it's not in their best interest to fight that. So um, the same with Uber. I think if you're a black person in, in, uh, in New York, it's hard to get a cab. That's mm-hmm. commonly known. But I think it's easier to get an Uber. So it solved a problem for them there. Mm-hmm. So I, I think on Uber, there's no problem because there's the credit card verification and the user's rating system. So I think if you're above a certain star rating, it's fine. It right. doesn't matter what color you are. Right, right. Um, but the racism thing in, in Airbnb is very real. And I think the company here will actually do their best to fight it because they'll make more money. Well, I don't know if, yeah, if you logged in and, or used Airbnb in the last 12 months, you would have accepted their new terms and conditions, which I think is really interesting in the history of software. Um, it's the first terms and conditions I've ever read where you have to agree that you're not a racist. And it's like right in the terms and conditions, like <laughs> I'll put in the show notes, like I, I agree that I do not discriminate against other people based on yeah, the color yeah, of their skin. And I but, think that... But you, like, you could be racist or uh, prejudiced towards people you think are going to party. Like, oh, I don't want party people that say they're going to... Uh, they say they're a, a couple of... That they're two people, but they're actually bringing in seven friends and they're all mm-hmm. going to throw up. Yeah, but this is where I think it's interesting because, you know, imagine you use Gmail so and they're like, you, you, you agree not to like, send hateful it's emails. It's family friendly and then you someone's icon, you're like, I think this person is a raver. No, you're not coming in. <laughs> well, it's funny because I was talking to um, someone that works at this company called Wattpad uh, in Toronto uh, this week. And Wattpad is like um, YouTube, but for writing. Like if you write fan fiction or whatever, you put it on this platform. And her responsibility was to police uh like adult content or like to make sure that like no incest or child pornography made it onto the network but i got to talking to her about like well like how do you detect that like what is the policy and she's like well right now it's like we use algorithms to flag things and then humans would review it or the community could flag content and then i thought well i mean but it, what if it was an artist and you didn't understand their intent? Or what if it was satirical or da da da? And, and I, she kept trying to sort of like bring it back to no, no, it's very straightforward. And of course, then I brought up like Instagram. And on Instagram, you know, like if you're a woman, you can't um, show pubic hair or your breasts. Uh, but if you're a man, you could, you could easily uh, get away with that. And so these companies have these policies or these um, kind of policies, algorith- it's algorithms mixed with social policy that don't they're not really sophisticated enough to handle so they have these like ambitious missions like we're going to save the world or like you know airbnb we're going to like you're going to belong everywhere which is so crazy right (laughs) and then they're like okay so how does that once they get into the messy details of it they're not equipped to actually handle it so airbnb the way they fixed it was with terms and conditions and the other thing that they did is they added um this instant booking feature do you know about this no so they like um so you can just like make it like you can overcome your own bigotry by allowing automatic approvals. Oh, okay. <laughs> so yeah. it's like so we strongly you, encourage you, you not to judge people. Place, would you rent out your place on Airbnb? Absolutely not. No. <laughs> so, uh, well, not? I, I'm not allowed to according to my condo terms. So okay, but if be, if that wasn't the case, um, no, I, I wouldn't. I would, but I I let friends stay there all the time. Yeah, I do the same thing. Like I'd rather, especially because we're in New York and so many people want to. As I said a billion times, our place is very small, so we can't really host people when we're here. Mm-hmm. But then if we're on vacation, I always email friends like, hey, it's available if you want to come. 
But you could like throw back the same statement at me. Like you could say, well, Jeremy, that puts you in a position where only those in your network and that you trust, um, you know, well, are, are willing to no. use your home. It, that, that's a really weird reasoning that like someone created an app that makes people sublet their home. And then if you're not subletting your home, you're a racist. Well, I know. Well, I'm bringing it up because Kristen and I have been talking about this a lot le- recently because we uh, are building. Well, actually, our building is not on indigenous land, but most of our the city of Toronto is built on on indigenous land that the people of that region, um, you know, said uh, sort of gifted as like a temporary kind of shared, uh, like they have this idea that land should be shared openly, right? Airbnb like, back in the day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like the indigenous people you, were the original, air, they're the original Airbnb people. <laughs> they're like, oh, you're such nice people. Like, yeah, like we can share this land together. And then we're like, mm, actually, we changed the laws and now I own this land. You're not allowed on it. Da, da, da. So Kristen and I often talk about like what is responsible um, ownership like is it is it possible yeah. to, to own something and not be sort of implicit or complicit in that you know expropriation of yeah, land it gets really the, complicated the if you want to do good because you have to set limits because you can always do more good you could say okay i'm gonna stop breathing because it's too much co2 <laughs> you know no, but like, like how far do you want to go in in asceticism but when you said, Jeremy, would you open up your home? I mean, I should really. It's not. It doesn't really belong. Yeah, but it's to the me. same with eating meat, and it's the same with flying. Is like there's there's so much you could do. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying the property is an invention. So like Airbnb yeah, yeah, yeah. belongs here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the property also has benefits. It has upsides and downsides. So mm-hmm. then you, yeah. What I'm trying to force you and I to discuss though is like if Airbnb were really about their mission, they would be forming communes. And they would be more like WeWork. But and there are... Uh, oh, man, don't get me started on WeWork. But let's start it. Let's talk about <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, uh, Christina needed a studio, so she looked at WeWork, and she told me it was a terrible deal, but I hadn't seen it in person. Mm-hmm. And she found a studio with a friend that was much better. So she's sharing a desk with a friend, and it's more personal. Yeah. And then another friend is like, oh, I'm, I'm in New York for three months and I need a workspace. So I can't sign a lease for a year. So I just need something for three months. Yeah. And uh, so we went to look at WeWork. And I think the space was 1200 a month. And so what you have to imagine is it's a, it's a floor with not a lot of windows, with all these glass cubicles, basically. Mm-hmm. And so there was a little glass cubicle with the smallest desk you can get at Ikea. <laughs> And a trash can next to it and the cheapest chair. And the desk took up two-thirds of the space. And that space was 1200 a month. No. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, you can use the printer. You can use the conference room. <laughs> You're like in this little glass prison. It, don't they have looked, like a little, they have like a social like, concierge You know those smoking rooms on the airport? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine that one, but really small. <laughs> wow. And for 1200 a month. What's become popular uh, in Toronto is big companies. Uh, so this is like, again, WeWork has shifted. So WeWork originally was like, yeah, let's all have a party together. Let's co-work. Let's like make peer connections. But now what they're doing is it's mostly big, bigger companies like uh, Shopify oh, yeah, yeah. or something. will take yeah. over a whole section, like almost like a third of No, that's like what it was like on WeWork. that floor. Well, mm. th- what, it, what it is, is you, it's like... Um, Amazon uh, Cloud, where you can just add another server mm-hmm. and another service. So if your company grows, you're like, oh, we have another uh, fish tank next to it. You can use it, and we'll we'll take out the dividing wall. Yeah, so that's actually um, 
what I don't think a lot of people know about WeWork, and it's it is interesting in comparison to Airbnb because it's a similar problem, which is like I love your Google Cloud uh, or Amazon cloud reference because it really is like that what one of the big problems in business we experienced this at freshbooks was that if you're growing quickly there isn't moving physical locations is very costly but you don't want to rent more space than you need before you need it it's like using extra capacity in the cloud so you just want as much space as you need for the efficiency at that moment but you might be doubling in size one every year right and so the best situation you can find is one you where you can like. You might also shrink. You want to, sh- yeah, maybe you shrink actually, and that does happen. And like then you maybe there's a building a phase, and you need a lot of people. And once that's built, it's more maintenance, so you need less people. Yeah. So what like companies like WeWork now offer though is this kind of like variable or like instantiated, scalable, c- yeah. scalable cloud-based, almost like physical space. But I think that's what Airbnb represents as well, because in this, like in the city of Berlin or something. The hotel capacity might be like fixed, but Airbnb allows it to be variable, right? Like so, it yeah, can expand and contract seasonally. Yeah, yeah. Whereas you, in the past, you would have had to build like a huge hotel tower, and then like put all of there'd be all this risk associated with it. It is, yeah. It is interesting seeing uh, real estate as uh, an operating system, and you can constantly install and deinstall apps. It's like okay, right now it's an office. A little bit later, it's a gym, and a little bit later, it's a cafe, and uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I mean the the resulting outcome is like the opposite of personal. It's really like the depersonalization of public space or and private space rather. Yeah. Yeah, because you're not there permanently, so it's uh, it, 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 maybe this goes back to my thesis that cities are starting to look more like airports. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, or like filing cabinets or something like. Yeah, with those micro pod hotels where you mm-hmm. just I want to take a do you want to take a thirty minute nap or thirty three minutes. <laughs> yeah, and I think like more and more often like people can't afford a home in a city anyway. So they're sort of choosing to have um you know multiple potentially multiple homes in different cities yeah. but at lower costs and I I heard a, a podcast uh, an interview I think it was on Recode with Kara Swisher and she was interviewing someone who was doing a sort of a follow-up to Airbnb where people would rent out their home for part of the day. Because a lot of people come into a city too early to check into their hotel or they might have meetings in the afternoon and they just want to take a shower and work for two hours. So this is for people who live outside of San Francisco, have a bunch of meetings with investors and then go back in the evening. And they're like, okay, between all the meetings, I would love to take a shower and a nap and hotels don't offer that. So, yeah. Oh my god, that that sounds like a like I don't know. That's a, it sounds it's stressful. Like, yeah, it sounds very stressful. <laughs> it sounds like almost like a break and enter. Like just yeah. sneak in here while you're not here. Then yeah, yeah. Before you, I don't like taking a dump in a coffee shop. So can I? <laughs> <laughs> it is a problem. But that said, like I, um, I'm sure you've stayed in a few hotels recently. One thing I've noticed, like staying in a couple hotels recently, is like hotels seem to be in certain cases, getting a whole lot better, like in response maybe to the threat of Airbnbs. Like it used to be the hotel experience was pretty bad. And then these boutique hotels came along like W or Ian Schrager. Um, what are some other, like, uh, the, what's that one that everyone loves um, with the art and stuff? Um, the Four Seasons? No, no. You know, it's like the hip hotel um, where they always have, they'll always have like some Oh, kind of the standard. No, not the standard, but that's a good example as well. But you know the ah, why am I? I'm dying. I'm dying. You know, there's like the hotel that always does art events. Even in New York, it's like got a gallery. Ace Hotel. Ace, yes, thank yeah. you. 
Um, you know, so th- then those yeah. came along and they were like, okay, it's not to compete against Airbnb. It's like not, I don't even know if they were trying to compete against Airbnb, but just against the commodified hotels. They're like, it's not your usual experience. It's something wild. It's sophisticated. Yeah. Um, then Airbnb comes along and says like, no, you like, what you really want is like something like cheap and like comfortable and some place like you feel like you belong. And, I've, and I've hotels- never tried Airbnb and just be like, I'm going to spend a lot and then see what you get. Yeah, well, because yeah, mostly you go on Airbnb to save money. But what if you go on Airbnb and like I'm fine spending five hundred a night? Yeah, well, I think that that's where it's got kind of gone now. If like you want to stay in one of their treehouse hotel things or some yeah. one of their zanier properties, it's like uh, it's pretty expensive. I don't think it's really a good deal anymore. But what I've noticed in response to that is like I was at a hotel in Chicago recently, and it's like. They had like a cafe in in the lobby, and it was like, and I could I could check into my room early, and they were trying to do all these things that before I would have been treated like trash. I don't know if you remember staying in a hotel like ten years ago, like you were a problem. <laughs> it was like, oh, no. welcome to the hotel. Yes, no, no, yes. No, I don't agree. I think that there's many plus sides to hotels, but. Um, Stay in a Holiday Inn, like, in London, and you'd be, like, a pro- you're, like, in the okay. way kind of thing. Okay. I guess I was lucky. But and I'm trying to think. On our honeymoon, we went to Hawaii, to the, the island of Kauai. I think mm-hmm. Zuckerberg now owns a quarter of the island. But um, I looked for places online. I didn't look at Airbnb, and I found this place where a woman had built her own house, and then she rented out the guest house. And that's how she could kind of afford to live there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really nice and she was like oh funny that you guys rent- were able to rent it because I was uh, normally it's rented out already seven months earlier and uh, mm. so she had mistakenly on the her website which was kind of clumsy it made a mistake and people couldn't book and somehow I managed to book it so I got lucky there because the, the software didn't work basically mm-hmm. but was, there was really positive that we had our own house with the full privacy it was really honeymoon feeling but at the same time she's like yeah the shed is full of scuba gear and uh, right. uh wakeboard or uh, bodyboards and whatever and i can tell you about this special beach that you want to go to and it's like we had a really uh, we had someone who didn't have any profit motive giving us tips not like mm-hmm. oh go to this restaurant and we have a deal with them it's yeah, like, yeah, no. yeah yeah so that that's the ideal that you that have an insight wherever you go yeah. Yeah, and I think that that's what they try and promote. It does make me think, though, like <clears throat> coming back to your um, your your issue about getting a desk at a WeWork, what the artist uniquely kind of needs. I mean, obviously, like a lot of our listeners are artists or designers. Um, when you're traveling, what are you seeking? Like, because you know, prior to Airbnb, I think um, you would, as an artist, you always had a friend somewhere in the world, or at least I've been very lucky to like. Uh, especially as an internet artist, no matter where I went, there'd be someone willing to host me. Like yeah, I, th- I think that's been for generations, like even dating back to Rembrandt, like going to other artists and knowing that there's someone with, because it's such a weird profession that if you meet other people who are into art, it's really helpful to talk to each other. Yeah, exactly. And, it, and so this, there's this kind of like family feeling uh, acro- for all artists. I've always said, because when I was in school, I had a teacher and they were, you know, you have that teacher that's very frank with you. And they're like, you ask them like, well, what is it like to be an artist? And they're like, well, you'll be very poor, but you'll get to travel. And no matter where you go in the world, I remember them saying like, there'll be someone that's willing to host you. And I just thought like, wow, that's just like the most amazing 
thing. And I thought that that was a, that that made it like part partially worthwhile. And that's been very very true. Yeah. Uh, throughout my art career, the only um, thing he he didn't foresee was that you were going to be rich. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, yeah, uh, that's the that's the problem, really. <laughs> no, but yeah, like I think. Uh, I always encourage whenever I'm traveling as well for people to visit me. You know that I have a policy. Anyone that wants to pass through Toronto can stay with me. But nobody wants to go to Toronto. takes takes me up on it. Christine and I talked about it so many times. We should really visit them. It would be so fun. Yeah, we're going to do that one day. Yeah, one day. It's a bit cold But if you're living... I always thought, though, if you're living in one of the main cities, like, um, you know, Tokyo, London, New York, Berlin, that you must be bombarded constantly with requests for people to stay with you. Do you have you ever had that problem of artists asking to stay with you? No, our place is so small that uh, it's not possible. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember asking other people when I would visit New York, and they're like, "Sure, one or two days is okay, but it's kind of hard." And but then I I had one friend who worked so much that he was never home and always traveling, so kind of worked out that way. But Yeah, New York is really hard to visit if you don't have a friend because it really is four hundred dollars a night for a terrible room. Right, right. But you kind of worked so that, out, or you hacked the Airbnb through your friend that was never home, right? Like you made it, you made it happen anyway. It was already happening. Yeah, I never tried. I mean, I've only had a few Airbnb experiences, maybe two, and one was a, I did a workshop, and the, the organizer of the workshop put me up in an Airbnb. Mm-hmm. It was okay. I like I like hotels. I, I like the feeling of, like, mm-hmm. there's something about the feeling of all the cliches of, like, the, the desk and the little bell on the desk and yeah. the little shitty refrigerator with weird stuff in it and the idea that you... It, um, there's something about a lack of responsibility <laughs> that you don't yeah. have in Airbnb. That's what I'm talking about with this feeling of being reviewed. And uh, okay. I like the idea that... When you're in a hotel, you throw towels on the floor, and you're on vacation. You're not the you're responsible usual. Yeah, mm-hmm. vacation okay. is yeah, and I guess it's different for work. But this idea of letting go of uh, responsibility—the same reason I would eat out on vacation and not cook. Yeah, I see what you're saying. I mean, but as an artist, you wouldn't when you were traveling. You would pretty much live the Airbnb life. Like you would you would stay with a friend or take over a friend's place. Um, and you would yeah. have some and responsibility. It, it, that was it, it's also funny that you talked about WeWork because I used to always look for a workspace to put my laptop down and uh, do some work. Mm-hmm. And now when I travel, I'm like, I'm always behind the computer when I'm at home. So when I'm traveling, I really want to minimize the computer time. It's maybe also because of the phone. Like when I traveled 15 years ago, I, I didn't have a smartphone. So I really needed to do the emails. Yeah. But now I'm almost like I prefer not to bring a laptop on a trip to get out of the daily routine. I'm similar to you. Like I used to want to work on my lap. I would actually like create the work that I was going to present at the airport. I'd <laughs> be like on yeah. the plane. I'd be like typing and stuff. And more and more, I'm like, Ugh, I just really want to enjoy the travel for. Yeah, what yeah. Because you, you travel, you uh, put up with a lot of discomfort uh, with like waiting and sitting in an airplane for 14 hours and all these mm-hmm. things. And so to do that, you're there has to be a balance and there has to be some extra fun. Yeah. So there are two other things that are a little bit sideways topic about Airbnb that I kind of wanted to bring up that might be interesting in relationship to art. So like one is that Airbnb was one of the first companies to be founded by designers and art, like people that would consider themselves creative. Um, are you familiar? Are you, are you aware of that? No, no, but uh, please enlighten me. 
Yeah. So from a very early on, uh, early point, they believed that they were going to differentiate themselves from hotels based on what they called experience um, and that they and aesthetic. Like they would be, they would just like be better at user yeah, experience. It's, it's it's not a cheaper hotel. It's better than a hotel. Yeah. And a friend of mine, uh, this guy Nick Sung, he was working at Pixar, um, like making Finding Nemo and stuff like that, and. The folks at Airbnb uh, got in touch with him. They were friends somehow. I don't know exactly what, but they had create. They had a lot of creative people in their network, and they were, you know, struggling with this. Like, how do we get everyone to understand that we're trying to create this experience? Now, like, this might sound like obvious to you that that's what software companies do now, right? They create these experiences that are more than the software. Now, let's put it in the user agreement because everybody <laughs> reads that. Well, you know, like. But well, the Airbnb was the first company to have to do what's called, or it's one of the first companies to do what's called story-driven design. And this guy Nick Sung, who's at Pixar, was hired by Airbnb to map out the whole user journey. In software design, there's this concept of a user journey, um, but it's based on the fact like that uh, someone has an experience with a beginning, middle, and end with your software. And Nick. Um, brought that to life using the same techniques as uh, storyboard artists used to uh, make films, and then you know, so, and then he brought like characters into um, into the storyboards, and those characters became, you know, what, what we now know as personas. Though personas preexisted, um, you know, Airbnb. Airbnb was one of the first companies to demonstrate that, like, if you had like one cohesive story, like a almost like a film filmic narrative that you were trying to present that your design team and your customer could align around like shared goals and a shared purpose. And like, and you could create a consistent experience that was like almost like a narrative. Um, and if you've seen these storyboards, they're kind of cool because they demonstrate what Airbnb is trying to achieve with the, like you belong here stuff. And it's different from like the way brands might've expressed themselves previously where, um, you know, like there are certain assets that belong yeah. in every brand deck. This was but like the, about the, creating one narrative. Yeah. To me, there's a. It's very hard to marry profit and ideals, and sometimes they align, and sometimes. So, for example, with Google, I completely understand why they're not on the extreme privacy side because they want as much information as possible. So I think mm -hmm. when you work with Google products, you know what you're getting into. Like, they want to know as much as they can. So privacy is not something is not their concern. Mm -hmm. And then Facebook is about connecting people, but then it turns out that clickbait uh, makes people more engaged and they stay longer. So right. it's in there. And so clickbait is not in the initial design of the product, but it turns out that it makes the product highly profitable. Mm -hmm. So how do you fight that ideal? And, and so the same with Airbnb. It's like, well, we designed this to be very personal and awesome. Yeah. Well, yeah. I can t I can hear there's a there's a guy named Jeffrey A. Moore. He wrote a book called Crossing the Chasm that's very famous in um, in software circles. And then he wrote a book after that called Inside the Tornado. So it, just, it might be interesting for our, our, our listeners to understand how does it like a company that proposes a great, beautiful future end up creating a commodified like like low quality experience the way you're describing. So Jeffrey A. Moore like writes about this extensively. Um, and he wrote about this like in the 90s. So he, you know, and, and it, this pattern repeats itself. You can look at every industry uh, over the last 50 years 
And you can see this pattern that repeats. But basically every new company starts up and it's like early adopters rush to use it because it's like the new thing. You know, this type of person that just wants to try whatever's new. And then there's a group of people that come after the early adopter. That's this like kind of early majority, they call it. And they're like, they're like kind of watching what the early adopters are doing, but they're kind of waiting to see, should I adopt? Should I try this? I don't know if I can trust it. But when enough early adopters kind of recommend it, they might take the leap, but really not, not quite because it's like a bunch of other things that I care about aren't there. And so most companies struggle to go from early adopter to early majority because the early majority cares about different stuff. Um, they care about less about the features. They care more about the benefits. They want it to be easier to use. Whereas like the early adopter actually likes complexity. What's interesting is like, and what Jeffrey Moore talks about in this like book called Inside the Tornado, is that at a certain point, um, like early on in a product uh, product strategy, you want to make your product all about the user, like, and you want to be very tailored. So you want to create these amazing experiences that are like about for a specific person, usually in a specific vertical, like creative people or something like that, right? But when this thing called a tornado hits, it's this time when a product let's take the iphone as an example where it goes from just like those few niche people that really liked it or maybe a lot of niche people to everyone wants to be like those niche people um and this so the majority of people want that thing and what is really interesting about that moment when something scales you know the hockey stick of growth right when it just goes vertical yeah, yeah. is that According to Jeffrey A. Moore, every and every company follows this. What's most important, and it's this is the thing that a lot of companies fail to do, is that that very moment you stop trying to design for a customer or a user, and all you do, you in fact you have to ignore the user, and they just and just ship as much product as possible. And we've well, all seen this fail. You know, when a product I, you can't get enough of a product I that think, everyone wants. I think um, the the initial direction. Most companies start out with the uh, nobody starts out like let's be evil, or yeah. let's let's make something that pisses people off because you know yeah. you don't think it'll succeed. So when I when we talk about the basic uh, foundation algorithm that you can say in words like 140 characters update or whatever the algorithm is, yeah, it's it's really I think the intention in the beginning is always good and then it's just coincidence that sometimes that original intention is highly profitable and that sometimes it turns out that the users figure out another way to use it which is not cool but very profitable so mm -hmm. if if you set up a sharing network and it turns out that clickbait really is it, like you can make a technology but you don't know how it will be used and it, sometimes the technology will be used the way you think it would the person who invented the steam engine didn't invent the train or you know what i mean no, yeah yeah but i'm the point i'm trying to make or like, is like like maybe someone mm. invented gunpowder to to make fireworks and it turned out later that it was great mm -hmm. for killing people so it, it's hard to predict what your technology will do no, but what yeah but si a little bit sideways the point i'm trying to make is that when that kind of demand hits which airbnb has what all of the business books tell a company like Airbnb to do is to reduce the cost, therefore reduce the quality, focus less on the customer. So don't talk about experience, just get crap out. Like, yeah. And I'm not saying I think this is a good idea. I'm just saying this is what the business books tell yeah, yeah. Well, that's Airbnb one thing, to do. That's one thing that scaling and how do you scale and do you pay attention to quality? The other thing is that technologies, the use of technology is unpredict unpredictable. Like mm -hmm. the guy who invented chat roulette 
didn't think that people would film suicides and it would mm-hmm. mostly be penises and uh, it, like how yeah, do you yeah, predict I don't know that? What he was expecting. Yeah, <laughs> I might have predicted that. Yeah. Not the suicide part. But so it, it's just hard to predict. Or maybe when when they did Facebook Live, they're like, "Yeah, that's going to have some terrible uses." They're like, "No, it's yeah. going to be awesome. It's just going to be unicorns." And and Moore talks about this as well. He's like, "You never know when the tornado is going to hit. Like, he, you never know when the scale is going to happen. You just have to be ready for it. But when it happens, yeah. um, it's just like so furious. So when that yeah, scaling yeah, yeah. happens, these companies are really." And often in a very difficult position where they yeah. they they might not have predicted shit it. Shit if you do, they, shit if you don't. Yeah, because the the, yeah. the other th- side of the coin is like if you're the idealistic one who puts a limit on how many days someone can rent out the space, then there's gonna be a ripoff of your product that's gonna be worse. You're making a good point that I that I've often wondered about, which is that is there a competitor? Why isn't in every other there industry are, I think, there's a second I, I think place player? For example, in in Amsterdam, they say that that there's a few Chinese Airbnbs that are very popular. So everyone's oh, really? focused on Airbnb because they can understand it. Mm-hmm. And then in different cultures, there are different kinds of Airbnbs. So it's really hard to monitor all of them. If you, mm. uh, of course. Um, this famous marketer Jack Trout says that like every industry eventually converges on two uh, competitors, but no less than two because people, the maximum market share any company can own is eighty percent, and then people get nervous because uh, theoretically they want a competitor to exist to challenge the incumbent. And in, with Airbnb, though, I always feel like it's like a hundred percent of the market, and like who else is doing um, the yeah. same thing? Ho- I guess maybe hotels is what they they think they're competing against, or they are competing against. It's the largest hotel chain in the world now, right? Yeah. But I, yeah. I've always it's all, like you know how Kickstarter well, has Indiegogo. Like, what's yeah. the Indiegogo of Airbnb? Well, there must be in different. There must be an Indian one and a Chinese one that we don't know about. But that's regional, like. No, it's very because they, odd. they can. You you can have Chinese investors who buy up apartments in cities around the world that mm-hmm. they advertise on the Chinese Airbnb. I'm mm. not trying to demonize China, but I'm talking about there's another large geographic area with a lot of tourists that yeah. have a hard time looking at English speaking websites, and they're like, "Well, we trust this brand." And okay, and interesting. Because one of the strategies that, um, if you were in business, they would recommend to go up against an Airbnb would be to create a very niche product at this at this stage because the tornado has kind of passed. It's like it's reached maximum potential. <laughs> we're, the, we're the Airbnb for people taller than two meters. Well, the point I'm trying to make, I think, is that like if there was an Airbnb kind of for artists, you know, like and it was exclusive just to artists, you had to, in fact, no you had to leave that. You had friend. to leave an artwork there's behind. No <laughs> Here's the I model. Think any, I heard from VCs that kind of wanted to do things with art. Whenever there's a deck and you're proposing stuff to investors and you use the word art, people are like, okay, mm-hmm. no, no money, bye-bye. Okay, let me pitch you on my startup idea. <laughs> okay, it's Airbnb for artists. You can stay in another artist's home or an artist can stay in your home, but you don't pay. It's free, but you have to leave an artwork behind. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> And then eventually, what, like, you have what about of Airbnb for massage masseuses, and you have to massage <laughs> each other? Yeah. Ooh, I like that too. <laughs> there's a, there's a startup in the Netherlands for leftovers that if you if you cook too much and you're like, oh, I have some spaghetti left over, you can go on the app and get it for free from someone. Well, the, the the point you're making though is generally these things existed. The sharing economy was about extra capacity, or like how do we monetize this additional capacity? But maybe what you're saying is artists have no extra capacity. Yeah. <laughs> they aren't. Yeah. They're already at like the 
the point where they're desperate just to find food. But the, um, uh, it is interesting that with the sharing economy that it starts out great. It's like, oh, you, you mm-hmm. have some time left. You could just drive some people around and make uh, 12 bucks an hour. Or, oh, you're going on vacation. You can make 200 bucks a day and, and f- you can fund your vacation that way. And so it starts simple, but the, then the economy mm-hmm. of scale dictates that if then a few landlords get together and offer right. 40 apartments instead of one, and they buy all the apartment, all the yeah, furnishing the, the, at a discount. You can't compete of, with that. Yeah, the kind of pinnacle good point is that any new entrant into the market, eventually people find a way to exploit it to like create the most amount of yeah. So or basically, basically humans then find inefficiencies and like okay, a single person doing it is is less efficient than a conglomerate. Yeah, yeah. And so, but, that, I, I, but it is interesting the whole idea of it being personal but turns out that big is more efficient so it's less personal <laughs> yeah but then it's so funny because so we in toronto we've same had with Uber etsy for, like oh yeah, yeah it's, it's homemade but it's actually homemade in a, in a huge factory right yeah i mean but it reminds me because like um we just got lyft in toronto so we've had uber for years but lyft for some reason like was like nah toronto we're not really interested so lyft has been expanding i Too guess cold. Yeah, it's too cool. But I had several Lyft rides because it's like they're discounted right now. And all the drivers I had, it was like a blast from the past. They were all just doing it casually on the side. And they all had like real careers. And I remember when Uber was like that, right? When Do you remember when you first took Uber and it was like someone was just doing like a couple rides a day, but they also had like their startup or their Yeah, I was very late with Uber, but... Uh... Yeah, okay, well, I that's how it was you. before. Yeah. Like, it was just like, oh, yeah, I'm just doing this kind of like casually on the side. I had that experience this week and it was like a real wake up call similar to Airbnb that like, oh, like that was the intent. The original intent was actually kind of cool and and a little bit beautiful because you were meeting people. The the idea was conversation in the car. But maybe maybe part of the problem is if if um, it's not clear from the beginning what your business model is and you're like, we'll figure that out as we scale. mm -hmm. Then you're giving up a lot of control. If, If your original intent, like. Apple is like, we're going to make high-end hardware, it's going to be expensive, and that's where our profit is, mm-hmm. then you're not going to find a weird turn because people figured out to make money with it in another way. It's like, no, this is where yeah. the money is. It's clear. But if you're like, yeah, we're just going to lose money for 10 years, and then we'll figure it out later, and then <laughs> someone else will figure it out for you, and you might not like that. So the art world equivalent of this would be like an artist that's like, you know, when you're early in your art career, you're supposed to create like... It's like a performance deep- artist who switches to painting. Well, like, it's like, yeah, or a performance artist who becomes Andy Warhol, basically. Like, but like, you're in early on, you're doing this one to one, right? Like all your marketing, all your time, and you don't want to use that term because you're going to scare people away. But like, you're spending all your time with individual curators, building relationships, you're going to their wedding, you're like, seeing them all weekends. <laughs> you're like, your collector is like your best friend. And you're like, let's hang out, let's get drinks, right? Like you're building these really rich relationships just to get enough trust that they're like, hmm, $2,000 does seem reasonable for a drawing. And so <laughs> like, that's how it goes early on but as like maybe as they get entrenched like you start to think about like well this isn't really enough if i'm going to do this and make a living from it i'm really going to have to find a way to get two thousand of these people how am i going to do that right and so you you start to you start to like not favor the experience and instead favor like okay well how can i do this at scale and you have to drop a bunch of things to do that um and you become like basically uh, this is everyone where, we're talking about. No, but it, this is where I disagree. You're missing well, the visual. Me, yeah. you're, you're missing the... When art scales... 
No, mm-hmm. but when art scales, you get opportunities. You get to show in more beautiful buildings, and you get to make work with better materials. So mm-hmm. there's a plus to bigger. Okay, so where do you where what do you how do you do how do you keep that in balance? Like, I mean, because you are showing. I, I don't think it's about personal relationships anyway. Because at the end of the day, it's the work, and you're standing in front of the work. Mm. So if if you have more money to spend on making the work, and you can use better materials, then that's makes makes the experience for the viewer better. I think this is where our two careers like are different, and maybe I I could learn from you, maybe not. I don't know, but like I've made my career very personal, so that like everyone I work with, I've you know. I have like a like a friendship with um and I'm like this in business too like not just in art like um well I I think I think that's the same for any business that you have to keep close relationships and you have to trust people so that they mm -hmm. uh, and everybody puts their best into it but it reminds me I saw this talk about Airbnb and you know the thing is they weren't popular right away I I talked about like that that conference but after that they had like two years of like struggle what I'm saying is you can't generalize that whatever scales becomes less interesting because I, I think for example if you're designing processors like a CPU yeah. I think scale actually then makes the product better if you you can't have a mom and pop CPU well what I wanted to say is that like what Airbnb came up with was if and there's a bunch of articles on this is that like what they figured out was it wasn't the space that people wanted they weren't selling empty spaces it was the trust algorithm like it so it was like figuring out how to make it clear to people that they could trust each other. And so they talked about like review systems. They were one of the first apps to have a review system. The thing that burned you at the the place in LA was the way that they actually went from having a really hard time scaling to having a lot of people use the product. Um, And the more people use it, the better the ratings get. Well, they found a way to automate this idea of trust or make trust algorithmic. It was based a lot on Facebook too. Like you yeah, need a Facebook yeah. profile to use Airbnb. But what they said was that they were selling trust. And, yeah, because um, yeah, it's, th- it's yeah. a big uh, risk just letting a stranger into your home. That's right. They said like it was crazy. No one wanted to fund them. No one wanted to use the product. And then when they figured out this ratings and review thing that we now like take for granted um, and this approval system that I said was racist, that's when it finally took off. But now you know they, they've passed that point and it's like, they're commodity-based product. And in art, I'm just saying, like, there are very, the only person I can think that fits this mold is, like, a Damien Hurst or something. No, right? but I, 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 I think you have to be careful. There's this cliche of, like, when things get commercial, mm. they get worse. If you, if you look at movie directors and uh, or, uh, musicians and their first album was cooler, and I think there's examples of both ways. Like, mm-hmm. if you think of an, a director like... Um, was a guy who directed Lord of the Rings, Peter Jackson. Mm-hmm. He was really good at making small movies with a small budget and make them feel bigger than they were. Right. So his first mu- movies are really funny, but I think he really shines when he makes Lord of the Rings and it's like on a gigantuous scale and no one can do it like that. But yeah, I think. So but I think giving giving uh, a ten a uh, hundred million dollar budget to Jim Jarmusch wouldn't make for a better movie. So right, it, right, it, right. it really depends on the product and the person. I think it's it's dangerous to generalize that money is a bad influence on products or creativity. It's not all. It, it really depends, and that's what I'm trying to say. Is like all mm-hmm. these all these companies start with a certain intent, but if yeah. they don't figure out, I'm just saying the use of the product can be totally different than people intended to, and you're not really in control of that. It's just it just happens. Like n- people thought. 
Linux would take over the desktop and it took over the server world. Is it, they were trying no, no, to, I, yeah. yeah. I've been trying to make the same point all episode though, which is like, and even in in, the, in that tornado stuff that I was talking about, what you want to do that's in contradiction late in late stage uh, capitalism is make in, during the tornado is make the product more simple, like to to the point to remove any. Um, any any bottlenecks or specificity that might alienate a person to get it to be Coca-Cola basically at that time. Like don't even have to, you don't have to think about it. And Airbnb yeah. I think has reached this point where you don't really think it's a bit of a McDonald's thing where it's like, yeah, it's gonna be like at this relatively standard level, but yeah. it's not gonna have the care and consideration. That's all I'm saying. Like it's not yeah. Jim Jarmusch anymore. I, I think the reason I haven't used uh, Airbnb that much is we usually go to Brazil uh, in mm-hmm. the winter because my family is there so we stay with them mm-hmm. and then we like to go to Europe in the summer and stay with my family as well and then other trips are usually work related and then the, the whatever the, the gallery or museum will find a hotel mm-hmm. so I, I'm getting a lot of free travel basically that's what I'm saying but now I have a trip coming up to Iceland and people said oh Iceland has great Airbnbs um, better than the hotels from mm-hmm. people told me who were there but then you also speak to people. I have a few friends there. They're like, yeah, because of Airbnb, rents have gone up tremendously, and we can't. Really and we should have this. talked about this sooner, right? Like, yeah. the, that's that's what's happened, right? And uh, so then, as a tourist, which I prefer not to travel as a tourist, but sometimes it happens. Then you're like, hmm, what should I do? Should I take the the bean burger or the beef burger? <laughs> Well, yeah, and Berlin is the most classic example of this. And I think it's interesting if we tie it back to art, which is in Berlin, which became the capital, like the most density of Airbnbs in the world existed in Berlin for a period of years. And what happened is it... Uh, and it Berlin was so always, cheap before that. Yes, Berlin had always been this artistic capital because the rent was cheap. It, it, was, it was also that the, the, the city was sort of built too big and they're like, yeah, it's going to grow someday. Yeah, but then artists really took advantage of that. Um, and then suddenly, like, all of Mitte, which was previously the art, arts district of Berlin, became, like, 70% of the residences for Airbnbs or something ridiculous like this. Um, and rents went went up uh, tremendously, right? And then the city tried to ban uh, Airbnb, but I think it still somehow exists, right? And where are we now? Berlin's a much more expensive city overall. Like, it never yeah, really but it's, came it's, back from that. It, it, people always talk about specific cities. They're like, oh, London is getting expensive. Oh, Paris. every city yeah. in the world is getting expensive. There's no, no exception. There's no, like, oh, there's yeah. this great, cool city, and it's getting cheaper and cheaper. <laughs> no. Yeah, it, yeah. It's Tokyo. It's Shanghai. It's Beijing. It's Hong Kong. It's Sydney. It, every city it pro- in the world. It's people are just moving from the countryside yeah. to cities. That, right. And plus, air travel is cheaper the middle class in developing nations is growing and mm. every person in India and China wants to see the Eiffel Tower. So, of course, the price of rent is going to go up in Paris. So you're just saying what was what was coming was just seen first. Yeah, there, no, right. I, I, I think Airbnb is part of it and they could, mm-hmm. they could limit, say, like, you can only rent out your place 30 days of the year so we prevent landlords from just setting up Airbnb full-time apartments. Mm-hmm. That, that's two lines of computer code. That's not hard. But it's against their profit motive. But I think it's like no one would ever accept not having a cellular phone. Like right now, someone sent me something last night, actually, for like a, a cell phone that had less features and an e-ink display. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Like, 
but no more features than the, the previous one. It's the light phone, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like no one's gonna and like Nokia is coming back out with flip phones and stuff. It's like yeah, great. Like yeah, that's but gonna you work need for maps about ten percent of people. And, yeah, yeah. So I I think like you know whenever we get past the tornado, whenever it's like everyone has it. We try and imagine like, oh, let's go back to the simpler time, but it just never happens. That becomes a niche for like a very few laggard type yeah. people. Should we run our ad? It's a bit late again. Oh my god, I forgot about the ad. Okay, yeah. well, the way we do it now is ads are at the end. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what we could do is ads at the start so we don't forget. But let's yeah, well, what ad. we could also do is like, if you pay, your ad is in the first fifteen minutes. If oh, not, I like it. That's good. <laughs> yeah, that's good capitalism. So, okay, so here's the free ad. <laughs> All right. Uh, why don't we switch roles for this? Am I? I am performing the social conscious Jeremy. Yes, I'm performing you. Okay, I have to do the Jeremy voice. Hey, Raph, have you heard uh, about Momar Gallery? Uh, no. That's me performing you. It's an unauthorized AR gallery concept aimed at democratizing physical exhibition spaces. An exhibition you can only see through your phone at the location. Exactly! Finally, everybody can show stuff in those white cubes. Uh, what are we advertising here today? They put instructions public for people who don't even have coding skills. Now everyone can open a gallery and show in any museum. Uh, where can people find this? At momar.gallery. Okay. <laughs> Try okay. to be you. That's very hard. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I just put on Jackson, Dutch accent. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I like how enthusiastic you made me seem. Yeah. <laughs> Love in life. Okay. So, yeah, momar.gallery. Uh, apparently, also, more specifically, if you go to forward slash open source.html. Thank you uh, for sending in the ad. That, that was uh, great. So, yeah. should we go from. Uh, our ad directly into... Is there any... I mean, if you go on vacation, the moral... Mm -hmm. it, it, are hotels morally better than Airbnbs or it's all tourism and that's all already questionable? Well, we didn't even talk about this distinction between vacation and workation. No, no, but let's talk about <laughs> vacation for a second just be, because okay. I'm going to Iceland. We, we booked our flight... Mm -hmm. But we haven't booked any, and I emailed different people who have been there a few times, asked for tips. So we're kind of navigating yeah. that, and we're like seeing which places do we want to go. But what, you know, would, like, what would you do? That's yeah. Well, I received an email from a few of our list, uh, some one of our listeners. Remember the the guy who um, who sent us the juggling, the juggling yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. And he said actually. Uh, that we should come hang out with him in July. <laughs> Where? So here's like a third choice in Iceland because he's in Iceland. Oh, so you you actually we're going have in July. Yeah. <laughs> you have three choices. One, yeah. you could hang out with a group of jugglers as they go on tour. Two, mm -hmm. you could stay in an Airbnb. Or three, you could stay in a boutique hotel. Yeah. Or you could <laughs> and that's camp. that's the spectrum of I think, experience. I think camping in Iceland is pretty cool, but... Well, I bring it up because like he was like, it's really unglamorous, but we usually make just so much enough money to like kind of get by and we tour across <laughs> Iceland. And we meet all these people, and I was I've been hesitating. I don't know why I bring it up with you publicly on the air, but I was talking to Kristen about it. I was like, Wow, Kristen, do you want to go to Iceland? And she's like, That sounds like a lot of work, but I was also like, Well, that's like I, what a lot of my art trips are like. They're this like 
eating canned beans, <laughs> like going from place to place. And it's a little bit like camp, oh, but it, it doesn't really match the vacation. Yeah, we already did the travel about. episode, but whenever I travel, the first thing I do is ask everybody, what's your favorite restaurant? And I make a map and make sure that I have at least two amazing meals per day. No, <laughs> well, no canned you, beans. Yeah. <laughs> no canned beans. <laughs> well, what I think you should do is a little bit of all three. And then, uh, then we could talk about it that way. Like you okay. should... We should do one day with the juggling. Yeah, <laughs> it's also, yeah, vacation for us is, uh, Christina's work schedule is pretty hectic, so then we just mm. want things really easy. Totally decompress. Yeah. That's yeah, the, yeah. so this so is the deal I, I have with I, Kristen, too. I would probably go with hotels, because it's like okay. less risk. There you go. Yeah. The, the deal I have with Kristen as well is we're not allowed to go on vacation anywhere where I could run into someone that I know. <laughs> She's like, everywhere we go, you know someone. Yeah, yeah, and, it's so, and she thinks that's really stressful. So. Hey, Jeremy, you want to do a, a small performance? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, because that's actually happened uh, several times, including when we were on honeymoon. So oh. I'm not allowed to well, go. Well, you're also I the got... person who gave your wife uh, an Echo Alexa for her for Valentine's Day. <laughs> It's watching. How, how it's did listening. that work out? <laughs> it was great. I talked about I mean, we did a whole episode. Yeah, but, about it, it's still but I'm working. curious now, a few days, weeks later, how is it? Uh, I mean, I, I, we, it often just triggers itself, I will say, like I said on the episode. And that's and then I remember, oh, yeah, we have an Alexa. You don't really use it that much, I think. Do you I play, play music? music on it more? I play music on it more than I thought I would, given how bad the audio quality is. Yeah. So that helps me understand why... Apple and Sonos yeah. are probably going to, in, the, in my, the long term... I was very curious about the HomePod, and then my friend was in town, and he had just bought it, so we tried it in my apartment. Yeah. And it, it's very funny, the marketing of technology. So they're like, yeah, it, it, the, the sound bounces off the walls, and it's room-filling sound, so you can't even pinpoint where the HomePod mm -hmm. is. And it, I heard it, and it's like, it's right there. I know exactly where it is. And it's coming from there. And if I move further, the sound is softer. There's no room filling. And it uh, sounds like crap. It's it, it's probably better than the Echo and all that stuff. But it's really not an audio No, so system. I've just started using it. The, the Echo actually just put it on like 20% volume. Because if it's like any higher. So it just becomes ambient music. Yeah. Really. I, I, well, I think the, the HomePod is uh, maybe 10 times better than that. But it's still me. Yeah, I'm kind of using it when I'm cooking. Yeah, like I get, yeah, I listen to the news in the morning and PR. Podcasts. Like, yeah, podcast. Actually, so here's one thing I discovered, and we should wrap the podcast up. But if you, if any of our listeners, you know, say, "Hey, Amazon," or "Hey, hey Alexa, play Good Point podcast." Hopefully, I just triggered that in your house. It won't work. We so we have to figure out how to do this because it uses Tune In Radio or something to find its podcast. So we mm. have to get listed mm -hmm. uh, and tune in because you can't say Alexa play Good Point. I guess I it's. I guess. I submitted our podcast to Spotify because I ran into a similar problem. I saw a friend and he had a, a Google phone and I was like, oh, mm -hmm. you should look up our podcast. And he looked at it on Spotify because that's where he listens to podcasts. But Spotify has a limited amount of podcasts. It's kind of uh, edited. It's just mostly mm -hmm. famous ones. So this is probably the same thing where it's like Planet Money and uh, uh, yeah. Freakonomics and uh, whatever. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, what. all the generic stuff. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But none of the underground, edgy podcasts. Like, good point. Yeah. Anyway, uh, hopefully we'll try and fix that. So, should we? Um, should we uh, listen to uh, field our field reco recording? Yeah, sure. This field recording is from a while ago. Of, uh, uh, just before Christmas, we went to see the Magic Flute, the mm. opera at the Lincoln Center Metro Metropolitan, whatever the 
the thing uptown. It was beautiful. <laughs> it's a beautiful theater. It's yeah, like yeah, yeah. It's amazing. Gorgeous theaters in yeah. the world. We've been trying to see a bit more classical music, and uh, it's fun. And, and um, I like seeing yeah. so many humans uh, working together on something completely aesthetic. At the yeah, same time. and this and this particular uh, recording is after the performance, which I also like yeah. to think speculatively is like uh, maybe after our first live recording in New York. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we were, no, this oh, no is... we did do a live recording in New York. I forgot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was good, uh, um, good uh, applause there. Yeah, it sounded similar. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> All right. So. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Please send in your field recordings because we actually are. We're, this is the first time I think we haven't had. Um, we're running low. And, yeah, we're running low. So. Any field recordings anywhere, anything that you're hearing is of interest to us and I think to listen to. Okay. Bye. 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 B